0: Thank you for all of you with your good singing this morning. Uh, thank you for all who served to help us, uh, whether that's instrumental or uh, singing out from the congregation, working in the sound in the back and serving in so many ways. Ushers coming out early uh, just to help people get in the building. Many faithful ladies even right now uh, down in the nursery taking care of babies and then others working with our children in children's church and uh, some allowing us to live stream. We want to welcome you that are joining us by way of live stream And we look forward to continuing our worship by opening up to Hebrews. Today we're in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And um, if you didn't bring a Bible, it's in the bulletin on the lower left-hand corner. Uh, We are committed to preaching God's Word here at Trinity. It's part of our worship. Uh, We believe that God is a breathed-out truth, and that is His Word. Um, It's just not a book. Uh, It's inspired by God. And so God has inspired letters, uh, and gospel accounts, and historical narratives, and poetry, and we like to work through the Bible the way God wrote it, okay? And so we are in this wonderful letter to the Hebrews, and if you say, what is the theme? I have it, you can see it's subtitled on the slide. Don't go back. It's written to people that are Jewish, and they made professions of faith in Jesus. Life's getting a little bit hard. They are getting some pushback, right? They're No doubt, there a lot of them, their parents are Jewish. A lot of their siblings are Jewish. Maybe their kids are Jewish. Their friends and neighbors are Jewish. Everything they know is Jewish. And they put faith in Jesus. And maybe initially it's like, yeah, this is awesome. But then there's kind of that reality check. of This may be not as good as I thought. And Hebrews is a letter to those that are maybe considering going back, encouraging them. Don't go back. No matter where you go, where are you going to go? Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anyone else, than anything else. Begin with a, a simple illustration. Uh, not long ago, we were having a typical holiday uh, time in our home. And uh, so Nance and I were excited. We got people coming over, and the three kids and their spouses, the grandchildren all come over. And we're just having a very, very nice time. We had a good meal and a lot of fun. It's about afternoon now. People are getting a little sleepy. The younger kids go down for naps, and it's an opportunity for me to go make a quick hospital visit, which I'm glad to do. And so, you know, we got cars in the driveway, and my truck's in the garage. So I say to three of my kids, say, if you give me all your keys, I'll move your vehicles, and then I'll pull out and go make my visit. Then the one who was parked in the very back said, Dad, here's my keys. Just drive my car. And I said, well, you know, honey, I don't have to take your car. She said, dad, take my car. It'd be a lot easier for everybody. And she has the newest car. It has some, you know, some safety things on it that not all of them have. And so I get in her car and, you know, it's after lunch and I'm a little bit sleepy and I'm not paying great attention, but I'm in a great mood. You know, it's, it's a holiday. I have my earbuds in, I'm listening to a sermon and I'm just going down Wade Hampton, relaxed, thankful, enjoying it. Maybe not as alert as I should be. And all of a sudden, beep, 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 beep. And I'm like, wow. And I hit the brake. And I didn't hit the car in front of me. I was warned. And I thought, man, I like that. You know, <laughs> there was this warning. You know, there's sensors in the bumper. You say, Greg, are you glad the warning is there? I'm very glad. You say, but you know what, Greg? God is sovereign, and if God wants you to be safe, he doesn't need a warning. I would agree with you, but maybe God's sovereignty applies to warnings. Maybe God kept me safe through the warning, and he uses warnings. Okay? Would I have hit the car in front of me that stopped without it? I don't know. But I'm still glad I had a warning. And that's my view of Hebrews. Because I still have people asking me, boy, these are great questions. You know, Greg, if you can't really like lose your salvation if you're a true believer, why do we have this letter filled with warnings? In my mind, that's like saying, if God is sovereign over your driving, why do we need alerts when you're going to hit someone? I mean, get rid of all the technology. But maybe God uses means. Maybe the God who kept me safe, perhaps through technology, is the God who keeps me spiritually safe through warnings, like we see here in Hebrews You say, so what are we looking at today? We're looking at Hebrews chapter 4. We're looking at a group of people that are thinking maybe, just possibly, this Christian thing isn't all it's cracked up to be. And they are in danger of missing the believer's rest. The title of today's message, Hebrews chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. Again, the title, The Believer's Rest. Now, I asked the children during the Bible reading to circle how many times you saw the word rest. You've noticed it as we read through it. It's there a lot. One of the first questions, no doubt, you're going to be thinking of is, what does it mean? And I'm going to say hang in there because we're not going to start there. Verses 1 through 11 are a section that are bracketed by two commands. And the first command is in verse 1. And then the last command is in verse 11. And between these two commands, there's a discussion of this rest. What I want to do is I want to take our first point from verse 1, our second point from verse 11, and then at the end of the message, we'll work through it. And by the time we do, I think you'll understand exactly what it means when we talk about God's rest. So Hebrews chapter 4, I'm going to read verse 1. Therefore let us fear if... While a promise remains of entering His rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. You say, what do we see here? Number one, don't miss God's rest. This is for you. Notice the text again, verse 1. Let us fear, all of us. And then the second half of verse 1. Lest any one of you. This is not for just the person Maybe in front of you or behind you. This warning's for you. This warning is for me. And you say, what is the warning? Therefore let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering His rest. And a promise does remain. We must believe what the Bible teaches. God's Word makes it clear. There is a promise that remains. That's very similar, right, to... Let me read it to you from the ESV. The promise of entering His rest still stands. That's very similar to what's going on down in verse 9. If you scroll down real quick to verse 9. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Again, we'll come back to that in a bit. But it's still here today now. There is a rest. There is a promise of rest. There is an opportunity for every believer to experience that rest. You say, Greg, what is that rest? Is is that like the children of Israel going into Canaan and experiencing rest? No. Guys, we're, we're, we're we're not at the Jordan River getting ready to go into Canaan. Right? We read about that. But those days are long past. That's not what's being talked about here. You say, but it's all through the passage. It is. It's an illustration. The writer of Hebrews is reminding us what happened to the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness, but it's an illustration to help us, to help us understand what? That hearing the Bible is not enough. Notice verse two. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, Just as they also. So right now today, we have good news preached to us. Notice what comes next. Just as the Israelites did in the past, but the word they heard did not profit them. Why? Because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Hearing God's word, guys, is not enough. You can hear God's Word and not enter the rest that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. To enter this rest, you have to do more than just hear God's Word. You have to actually believe God's Word. Do you see that in verse 3? For we who have believed enter that rest. You say, Greg, what if people don't believe the Gospel? Obviously, they don't enter that rest. So whatever the rest is, it's something that people who put their faith in Jesus will enter, and those who don't will not. You say, why do people not enter that rest? Because they don't believe God's Word. Go down to verse 6. In verse 6 it says, Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them, Failed to enter because of disobedience. They didn't obey God's word. And why didn't they obey God's word? Look at verse 7. It helps us. He again fixes a certain day today, saying, Through David, after so long a time, just as he has been said, as has been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There are people who have hard hearts. And because of their heart, they don't obey God's word. They hear God's word. They listen to God's word. They know God's word. They may regularly attend a church. They might know their Bible very, very well. It's not enough. Simply knowing God's word is not enough. The big illustration in this section, right? God spoke to the Israelites in the past, and He told them, here's, here's the land, the promised land, Canaan, right flowing with milk and honey. It's yours. It's awesome. Go for it. And what happens? You know, you send out the spies, and you check it out, and it's like, wow. Those people in there are like giants, and we're like grasshoppers, and this thinks, and God, why'd you do this? Maybe we ought to just go back to Egypt. Maybe you don't even love us. They didn't believe God's Word. And those people did not enter God's rest. An illustration of people even today. Now in the time of the Hebrews, but even today. There are people who come to church regularly. They know their Bibles well. They understand the doctrines of Christianity, but they don't really believe God's Word. For the Hebrews, they're thinking about going back to Moses. Maybe animal sacrifice is still a good thing. Maybe what's going on in the Jewish temple is what we should still practice. Maybe this, hey, it's all been fulfilled in Christ. We don't need it anymore. Maybe that's not true. And Hebrews is a book that says, yes, it is true. Don't go back don't only know God's Word, but believe God's Word and heed God's warning. Again, verse 1. Let us fear if while a promise remains of entering His rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. That warning is for you. Let us fear. Okay? Fear. Why? End of verse 1 that any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Now, the end of verse 1, in the commentaries, lots of discussion exactly how to translate that. When it's all said and done, it all basically means the same thing. The Holman Christian Standard Bible puts it this way, let us fear that none of you should miss it. When you read verse 1, do you take that to heart? Do you say, I need to consider if maybe I'm one of the people who would come short of finally, ultimately believing in Jesus Christ? And if you say, Greg, it's not for me, man. You can't lose your salvation. It's for other people, but not me. You're not taking this seriously. You say, should I? Verse 1 says, everyone should. Any one of you. You know, you don't want to be like the guy on the airplane, right? Man, I've flown a lot, I'm good. The stewardess says, you know, if the mask comes down, put it on you first. And we're over water, so here's how you inflate the little life preserver things. And if the tag doesn't work, blow in this tube. And you're like, I'm good. My plane's not going down. And you could just dismiss it, but that's not God's will, this is God's Word. And God's Word gives us warnings. And we need to be people that would fear. We need to evaluate, Lord, am I truly, actively a follower of Jesus Christ? You say, Greg, do you want me to doubt that I'm really a follower of Jesus? Only if you're not a follower of Jesus, right? And we have many professing Christians who are not. And at one time, they were actively engaged in following Christ, but no longer. And Hebrews is filled with these kinds of warnings. We've worked through a number of them. Hebrews 2.1, For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. Be careful that you don't drift away. Not necessarily like one day deciding, forget Christianity. But slowly, over time, drifting. And again, I want to be careful how I say this. It's very popular to say, once saved, always saved. Don't worry about it. These don't apply to you. I think that's a failure to deal carefully and genuinely with the Word of God. We can't dismiss the warnings. Be careful. Don't drift. Pay attention. Notice what it says chapter or two verses later, Hebrews 2, verse 3. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If there weren't people in danger of neglecting it, then this is just a, a waste of ink on paper. But we need to think about this in chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. The writer addresses the readers as brethren. They're all professing believers. But you know professing believers who are no longer professing believers. And if you've been a professing believer for some time, I would be amazed if you don't know one. I may be wrong. I wish I only knew one. And yet we've had them come through our assembly People who say, I know I'm a Christian, and they join and they even get into leadership. And then sometimes you find years later, I don't believe. I'm not a Christian. And you can't go to heaven without Jesus. Take care, brethren, that there not be an unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. It's not enough To know God's Word, you have to believe it and heed these warnings. You know, simple illustration. Let's just assume you had a fatal disease. It was like really, really bad. And the doctor says, you know, there's really nothing we know of right now. Hopefully they're working on some things. But the fact is this disease is going to take your life in whatever period of time we think. And that's just how it is. And then one day, good news. And the doctor calls you up at your house, which like, you know, what doctor does that today? And it's like, you know, hey, Mr. Mazak or whatever, I'm Dr. So-and-so. Like, yeah, you're calling my house, what's up? You'll never believe it. You know, the FDA or however they do this have just approved a new drug. And it targets exactly what you have And if you will take this drug one time a day for whatever, 21 days, we are confident that your disease will be cured. Isn't that good news? And it'd be like, this is awesome, you know? I tell my wife, hey, honey, this is awesome, right? You tell your kids, this is great. People, you know, on your street, boy, you're in a good mood. I got a reason to be in a good mood. I thought I was going to die by this disease. The do- Can you believe a doctor called me at home? And, I- and it's a wonderful cure. But you didn't take it. And you perished. Simply knowing the cure does not address the disease. And simply knowing the Bible doesn't mean you have a relationship with God. Don't miss God's rest. Make sure you believe God's Word. Make sure you heed His warning. That's the first command. Verse 1. Let's scroll down to the last verse in this section and we'll see the second command in this text. Verse 11. Number 1, don't miss God's rest. Number 2, verse 11 strive to enter that rest. Verse 11 says this, Therefore, let us be diligent, that's the imperative, that's the command, to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. He says, okay, So what's going on here? Notice the command of verse 11. Let us be diligent, can be translated zealous or eager. It's something you spend considerable effort in pursuing. You say, so is this salvation by works? No, it's salvation by faith. Salvation is only by faith. But true believers will and must eagerly persevere in their faith. Let us be diligent to enter that rest. So that no one will fall. Put the effort in. We've seen this in Hebrews. How about chapter 3 and verse 14? Helping us to realize we need to be diligent to enter. It says this We have become partakers of Christ. I mean, what a great text. Sharers. We share with Christ. You say, That is awesome. It is. But don't miss the next word. There's an if. If. We hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. You say, what if I don't hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end? Then you're not a true partaker of Christ. No one goes to heaven without Jesus. No one's going to walk to the pearly gates. It's just an illustration. I'm not saying it's like that. No one walks up to the pearly gates and says, hey... You know, when I was five, I believed, but then I got to be eight and nine, I got to be real smart, I don't believe anymore, and they say, no worries. I mean, hey, dude, once saved, always saved, when you're five, you're in, you're good, we're good, come on in. And you say, but I don't currently believe, you don't have to currently believe, but I don't believe in Jesus, you don't need Jesus. As long as you once upon a time in the past said a prayer, made a decision, is not what the Bible teaches. There's an if clause. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. A few verses earlier, chapter 3, verse 6, Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are. Praise the Lord. We are the house of Christ, all believers, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. You say, well, what if we don't continue to believe the Gospel? Then we obviously are not part of this house. No one goes to heaven without Jesus. What a person did in the past is not what gets you into heaven. It is having a relationship with Christ. You believe in Jesus, and you hold fast your confidence, the boast of your hope, firm until the end. Work salvation. It is not. You're saying I have to make myself believe to really be a Christian. Absolutely not. If you are really a Christian, you will continue to believe. It's the God who does the work of regeneration in a person's life. And the God who draws us to Christ and gives us the faith to believe is the God who will by His grace see that we continue to believe. So, what do we do? We are diligent to enter and be careful. Notice again, verse 11. Don't fall through disobedience. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter the rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Remember what the Israelites did back in the promised land, excuse me, back in the wilderness. They didn't believe God. They disobeyed God. Their hearts were hardened. And with few exceptions, right? Caleb, Joshua, they did not enter the promised land. And this warning is thus for us. The Hebrews were tempted to go back to Judaism, turn away from Jesus. I don't know if any of you are being tempted. You know, Greg, I, you know, again, I'm, I'm not sure I want to continue in this Christianity thing. And this text would say, strive, be careful, be diligent, and don't fall like the children of Israel did in the wilderness. I had a uh, a good friend and a colleague, I teach with him, and we both teach at a Christian university. I was talking to him, and it was a nice time of fellowship. He was a little bit discouraged, um, you know, which is... You know, hey, what's up? And, and he said, Greg, you know, today I'm, I'm just struggling a little bit because I've just come out of a chapel situation. And there was a man with the Bible preaching God's word. And I looked and I saw more than one of, or two people intentionally sleeping. Not not like, hey, I want to pay attention, but they're drifting. He said, I saw more than one or two people intentionally sleeping. I saw more than one or two people intentionally on their phone. You know, whether social media or shopping, I don't know. But I looked, and I watched, and I wondered... And guys, this is a Christian university. You don't get into this university unless you say, I am a follower of Jesus. But the word of Jesus is being preached, and people aren't interested enough to even try a little bit to honor the one they call Lord. What do you think? And we began a discussion How many of these people do you think in the years to come will look back and say, as many people say, I used to be like that. I used to identify as a Christian. But, you know, whatever. Life goes on, and then things change, and little at a time they drift. And God's words being preached, not a big deal. And yeah, you know, I used to read my Bible. I used to pray. used to go to church. But man, that was a long time ago. Can't even believe I was so simple back then. And then you have people. I'm not judging people. They will tell you I'm not a born-again Christian. It's not who I am. I once said I was. And this text is a text that says, be careful. Don't miss God's rest. Number two, strive to enter God's rest. So let's pause. So, what is God's rest? I mean, if I were to just ask you to write on a piece of paper right now, just based on verse 1 and verse 11, the whole context of Hebrews, what would you consider God's rest? I don't think it's hard. The commentaries, interestingly enough, kind of treat it like it's complicated. And and I get that because here's just one of the things that happens in, in Bible study, and I want to encourage you with this. Uh, we have something that we call context. We sometimes say context is king. You always want to interpret the Bible in light of the context. And what happens is sometimes you get really excited about the Bible like I do, and you get really excited about one verse like I do, sometimes even a couple words in one verse, and you like crank up the magnifying glass, and you study this word, this phrase, and then you're like wrestling with it. And it's like, what does this word rest mean here? And I think sometimes I can study the trees so intensely, I forget what's going on in the forest. If I were to just look at this passage, we're talking about people who've made professions of faith and now they're being tempted not to believe. They're in danger of not continuing to believe. And thus they would not enter God's rest. I mean, to me it would be fairly clear. And yet I've listened to actually two sermons this week, more than two, but two. That argued in Hebrews chapter 4, the rest is clearly the Sabbath. And Christians must obey the Sabbath. You must not work on the Sabbath. Then the Sabbath's not Saturday, but it's Sunday. And this is clearly referring to the Sabbath because just in your Bible, look at verse 9. There remains a Sabbath rest. What else could that mean except that you got to keep the Sabbath? And if I focused on verse 9 and just opened my Bible and said, I'm going to read Hebrews 4, 9, I may come to that conclusion. But never if I considered the whole context. Never. Do you think these Jewish believers, professing believers, were struggling with not understanding the Sabbath or not practicing the Sabbath? There's no indication of it. They're thinking about leaving Christ and going back to Judaism. So for me, in context, that certainly wouldn't fit. I've read a couple of books, not recently, books on counseling by an author named Charles Solomon, and his theological viewpoint is that the key to life is you need to actually have a second work of grace. And he anchors it in this text of Hebrews 4. Let me see if I can explain. When allegedly, I don't believe this, When you put your faith in Jesus, that's like being delivered from Egypt. You've crossed the Red Sea. You've come to Christ. You are now officially a wilderness-wandering believer until you have a second work of grace, and that would be entering Canaan, the promised land, which is a picture of the deeper life. This is called deeper life Christianity. And coming to Christ is good, but it's not enough. You need to have the second experience. Going through the Red Sea is good, but have you ever crossed the Jordan? Maybe that's why you're struggling as a Christian. Maybe your marriage isn't what it should be. Maybe you're trying to fight the habits, but it's hard. Maybe that your, your temper gets away from you. You are not a deeper life Christian. Canaan's obviously the place of rest and peace, right? Hint, it's not. But, right? And Charles Solomon anchors that in this text. Question. Is Hebrews 4 written to Christians who are trying to figure out how to grow and how sanctification works? And and if this deeper life, let go, let God kind of viewpoint is actually more than what we would just call progressive sanctification... That's not in the text. That's not what's going on. What's going on is there are people who are being tempted to go back, back to Judaism and not follow Christ. And if they do, there's no rest. They don't enter God's rest. They would never experience the rest. I mean, just what would that be? It doesn't say specifically, but whether we say it in this way or that way, I think it's clear. It's the rest of being with Christ, it's the rest of fellowship with God throughout all eternity, it's the rest of rejoicing that you are with God. You continued in your faith because you are a believer. And God has done a work of grace in your life. And you're not a person who, if we could just say it this way, you don't miss heaven. Because you tried to get there without Jesus. And maybe you thought you had Him in the past. But that's no longer the case. I've worded our third point this way. Experience God's rest through Christ. It's the experience of every believer. Let me see if I can work through the passage now just a little bit and see if I could maybe help. I think the context is clear. This is what the author is talking about. Our ultimate rest is with God through Christ. We experience that rest. We enter His rest. Let me just start again at verse 1. Therefore let us fear if while the promise remains of entering, notice, His rest. It's God's rest. And real quick, go down to verse 10. For the one who has entered his rest. This is the rest that God experiences. This is the rest that God is right now, today, experiencing. You say, how do you know that? Just go down to verse 3. For we who have believed entered that rest. What rest? God's rest. Just as He has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Why? They didn't believe. Although His works were finished from the foundation of the world. You say, what is that a reference to? Creation, verse 4. He has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all His works. You say, what happened? On the seventh day, God stopped the work of creation. It was completed. It ceased. You say, did God stop because He was tired? God doesn't get tired. Did God stop because He's no longer active? No, God is still active, but He's not actively creating. God creates what there is in six literal days. And on the seventh day, it ceases. And now God is enjoying this time of rest. You say, what do we call that? Drop down to verse 9. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And that form of the verb, you say, "What?" it's a noun, but why do they translate it Sabbath rest? Because it's not the word we normally translate Sabbath. It's a different word. And it has to do more with the activity of cessation. Like God stopped after working for six days. And verse 10 thus says, the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from him. There's a day where we will be with Christ forever and we will be enjoying fellowship with God. It's the rest of being with Him. Verse 11, therefore let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall. Now you say, Greg, so is it like rest from anxiety? Well, I'm sure that's part of it. That's not the main thing because God rested, but He wasn't anxious before He rested. You get what I'm saying? We might sometimes think, well, it's the rest of worry or the rest of fatigue. I don't want to discount that, but God did not worry or struggle with fatigue while He was creating the world in six days, and then He rested. It is a rest that only comes in Christ. You can't get it anyway. David can't, other way. David can't give it to you. Joshua can't give it to you. Go back to verse seven. He again fixes a certain day saying today, saying, who said it? David. Saying through David in the Psalm, Psalm 95. We talked about it last week. After so long, just as he has said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. David was talking about this coming rest. And then Joshua couldn't deliver it. Verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, that is getting ready to go in the promised land. Remember, Moses couldn't go. Joshua, the new leader. If Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day, a day still to come, a day after that. We're talking about enjoying fellowship with God forever because our faith is in the Gospel. We are partakers of Christ. Hebrews 3.14 We have become partakers, sharers of Christ. If we hold fast, the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end, that's the peace, the rest, that every true believer will experience in God's presence forever. Jesus invites you. How about Matthew 11, 28? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And sometimes we quote this, you know, if you're really, really anxious, come to Jesus. You know, I don't think that's wrong. I don't think that's primarily what's going on in this text. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ. It's becoming a follower of Christ. And there is a rest that you will experience. You say, how? We enter His rest, you know this, I hope, by believing the Gospel. Again, notice what the text says. We're going to go back up to the top of the passage. Verse 1, Therefore let us fear, if while the promise remains of entering His rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Verse 2, Indeed, we've had good news preached to us just as they also, but the word they did not profit, the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Now watch three. For we who have believed enter that rest. When a person believes the gospel, present tense, they are currently entering that rest. And again, not everyone will see it the exact same way. You would say, Greg, do you have that rest completely right now? No. But I'm entering it according to verse 3. You know, if you're entering my house, you know, if you stop by and I said, come on in, and there you are, you're maybe, you know, holding one of the kids' hands and an umbrella in the other hand, the door's open, you're entering my house. Present tense you're not yet really in my house as we would typically say it. In verse 3, if we take that present tense seriously, we who have believed are entering that rest. And by God's grace, we will continue to believe. Not so that we can be certain we're truly believers, but because we are believers and God is working in our hearts. And thus... We will come to enjoy the fullness of fellowship with Him. You say, Greg, how, how do I keep believing the gospel and should it be something I'm concerned about? Yes! These warnings are for you. You say, well, what do I do? We've covered this, but I'll just review 2 1. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Guys, you've never arrived, okay? Never. And I'm going to use an illustration of someone here, and I compliment him in my illustration. Right? We have Ward Anderson right up here. Guy probably knows more Bible than many of us combined. Okay? Bible teacher for years and years. And I'm still saying to people, I don't know, ask Ward. Okay? He just knows so much. And he knows enough not to say this, but if I could just use him as an illustration. If he said to me, Greg, I think I got this Christian thing down. I don't think I'm going to read my Bible anymore. I'd yell, Donna! Talk to Ward. Don't let him do it! Pay close attention. It's not just an intellectual thing of how much you know. You can know a lot and miss it. Every one of us. We need to be careful. We need to keep, let's up at a chapter 3 1. We need to consider Jesus. That's not a passing glance. We've covered 3 1. It is a deep, intense look at the apostle and high priest of our confession. You say, it gets old. I disagree with you. Never gets old. If you really know him. We had our youngest grandson over yesterday, about four months. And here I am trying to study, and my four-month-old grandson is over. And I'm in my study, and I hear him coo. And it's like, ah. And I get up, and I look at him. And Nancy's already looking at him. We're just two grandparents. He is so cute. He is so cute. And next thing, I'm holding him, all right? And I'm talking to him, right? And I'm thinking I could do this for a little while. Then I'm thinking, okay, I got to get back in the study. So I hand them back to Nancy, and all of a sudden I just hear him kind of like gurgle, and I'm out of my seat, and I'm holding him, and I'm hugging him, and I'm just walking around like standing in front of a mirror. Look, you know, and all those things, you know, that I would see other grandparents do, and I would think, really, you know, <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm loving it. Okay, I love being a grandparent. And if you said to me, you know, Greg, you really need to stop looking deeply at your cute little grandson, I would say, I don't want to stop. And the heart of of a believer is, I don't want to stop thinking about Jesus. It never gets old. This is the believer's rest. Don't miss it. Strive to enter it. Experience God's rest. It's through Christ. This is the message of Hebrews that we've seen this morning. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Okay? So here's our picture. This is the Christian walk, if that helps. And here we are. We're walking. We're on a path. I trust you identify as a believer, but maybe you don't. Now, if you don't, I invite you to come to know Jesus And realize you need to be forgiven and there's only one person who could forgive you and that has to be someone who doesn't have the same problem that you have. So that has to be someone who's sinless, that's God in the flesh. And He came in this world to die on a cross to save you from your sin and He rose again from the dead. And once you put your faith in Jesus, then you begin what we call the Christian walk. That's what we've seen this morning. In conclusion, Two points, but you already know them. Verse 1 of Hebrews 4. Therefore let us fear, if while a promise remains of entering His rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. And then Hebrews 4.11. Therefore let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. I end with a sad illustration. The second deadliest plane crash in U.S. history was Northwest Flight 255. It was flying from Michigan to Arizona and it crashed shortly after takeoff. 156 people died on that flight. You say, why? Because the flaps We're not properly extended for takeoff. You say, Greg, but don't they have a warning? Yes. There is a takeoff warning system that monitors the position of the flaps, and if they're not fully extended, it will alert the flight crew. But for some reason, someone turned off the power to the warning system. And the warning system failed. And the flaps were not fully extended, but no one knew it. And 156 people died a horrible death because the warning didn't take place. I don't want that to happen with you. I don't want it to happen with me, anyone in our church. So this is Hebrews. And this is the warning. Let us fear while the promise remains of entering His rest, Any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall. You say, Greg, how do we keep encouraging people? In many ways, start with yourself. Keep reading God's Word. Keep meditating on what you read. Keep thinking about Jesus. Keep coming together and assembling Keep singing the songs we sing and think deeply about the words. Don't allow yourself to drift. Don't get so excited about a thousand other things, including sports. I speak as a sports fan. I know it's quote-unquote Super Bowl Sunday, which I have no problem with watching a game. If you enjoy it, do it in a way that pleases God. But don't let any of those things take you away from what really matters. No guilt, no strong push, just a simple invitation. That's why we need to encourage one another. And I've, sh- I've shown this picture before because I look at it and I still can't figure out who's the strong person out of those three. Like, is the woman in the middle super strong and she's helping the two on the outside? Are the two outside helping the woman in the middle walk? I can't tell. Maybe all three of them are weak. And maybe all three of them need one another to keep walking. And maybe that's a picture of the church. And maybe that's why today is Shepherd Group Sunday. And the reason we have Shepherd Group Sunday is because we all need to be encouraging one another to keep following Jesus. I am not suggesting you should feel guilty if you're not participating. I am simply inviting you to come. If you're not a member, 3 o'clock we meet in the back building. I'm reminding you of why we do this. And it may be it doesn't fit your plans and you're going to honor Christ in a different way. And that's awesome. But I will remind you that Christianity, if I could put it this way, is not an individual sport, guys. It's a team sport. And one way we continue to follow Christ is by encouraging one another. I hope you'll continue to do that. Let's pray. Father, we began with a simple illustration. I am grateful for that warning in my daughter's car. It kind of got my attention and got my foot on the brake. I am grateful for a warning. I received it, Lord. And I'm grateful that I was in a car that warned me. Lord, we're reading a book, a letter, Hebrews And we've been warned this morning. Lord, every one of us that has faith in Jesus and believes in the inspiration of the Bible, every one of us are thankful for this warning. Because we believe Your Word is true.